Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. COVID-19 around the world has flared up again in many places, particularly the U.S. has been hit hard and is continuing to be hit hard by COVID-19, increased infections every day. Joining me on the line now is Rafiq Mansour, the Chargé d'Affaires at the U.S. Embassy in Singapore, to talk a little bit more, not only about what's happening in the U.S., but also the U.S. response here in Singapore and across Asia. Chargé Mansour, good morning, and thank you for being with us this morning. I'm delighted to be on your program. Thank you for having me. It is unfortunate that our topic is a fairly dire one. What are you hearing through your diplomatic channels and and seeing in terms of what's happening in the U.S. uh, right now as we're seeing so many cases now just explode across many states. Yeah, well, the COVID situation in the United States is absolutely um, serious. And the response in a country as large and as diverse as the U.S. is indeed a complex undertaking. So the vice president is leading the COVID task force that coordinates the interagency response at the federal level. But then some authorities are delegated to the state and the local levels. So much literature about coronavirus, I have found that the best website that addresses the U.S. government response is www.usa.gov slash coronavirus. And the United States government, we have been coordinating closely with the government of Singapore and also with ASEAN in terms of of response and also some lessons learned from the Singapore experience. And I would be glad to talk a bit more about that. I think that is interesting because, you know, so far we have, many of us have observed and, you know, there are over 20,000 Americans in Singapore and thousands of American-owned companies. So this is surely a place where Americans are concerned about what's happening, not only in Singapore, but what's happening back home. Many of, of us have observed this kind of push and pull between the federal government and the state's rights and all of that. But one topic that really hasn't been talked about a lot is the U.S. outreach back to uh, back to Asia Pacific. And I was surprised to to hear about that. What has that looked like in real terms and, and what kind of assistance or aid has been coming back this direction from the U.S.? When you are hit with a uh, pandemic as uh, complex as, as COVID, you realize very quickly that n- no one government can handle it uh, on its own. And you realize all the more the importance of public-private partnerships. And here we are blessed uh, in Singapore because we have 4,500 American companies that have stepped up efforts to protect employees and help the community. So to name just a few examples, these companies have made in-kind donations, distributed care packs worth more than $5 million to healthcare workers, transported frontline staff and migrant workers, ramped up production of masks and donated mask adjusters to local hospitals. And we're very grateful for that kind of all of America effort to assist the Indo-Pacific region in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. We're speaking with uh, Rafiq Mansour, the Chargé d'Affaires of the U.S. Embassy in Singapore. And and there have been those Singapore-specific examples for sure. But also uh, the U.S. government has been doing much more across the region. Is that correct? No, absolutely. Uh, Across the region and globally. So since the outbreak of COVID-19, the U.S. government has announced more than $1.5 billion in State Department and USAID emergency health, humanitarian, economic and development assistance. More regionally, it's important to note the U.S. ASEAN Health Futures Initiative. This is an initiative that Secretary of State Pompeo launched 
uh, in April of this year. It focuses on three things. One is research, two is the health system capacity, and three is the developing human capital in health. And so over the last 20 years, the U.S. has invested over $3.5 billion in shared health goals in collaboration with ASEAN nations. But our assistance to ASEAN countries continues to be responsive to the region's needs. And right now with COVID, uh, to date, we have released over $80 million in emergency health and humanitarian assistance to support ASEAN member states combat COVID. What does that look like in reality? Is it is it actually supplies or is it just simply giving money to countries and then they get their own supplies or set up their own health care systems? Or what, what does that actually look like, that, that large amount of money that's come this way? It's, it's supply chains, it's uh, research, it's the information exchange. I, you know, I can talk more specifically about Singapore. The information exchange has been very impressive on multiple levels, not only diplomatic, but also public health and business since the beginning of this pandemic. Sharjah mm, Mansour, that, that surprises me to hear that, quite honestly, because it has seemed like the U.S. has been fairly inward-looking during this crisis. I mean, you're obviously a State Department employee, but is that surprising to you to see these numbers? I mean, they're fairly large numbers going across the region of, of that aid that's going from the U.S. back to this part of the world. Right. You know, it, it doesn't surprise me personally because I, um, having been a State Department employee for over 20 years, I realize that there is a lot of good that the U.S. government does that oftentimes goes unnoticed. But as I mentioned earlier, when you are dealing with a pandemic as, as global in its scale as COVID-19, it's impossible to do it alone as a government, as a company. And so this partnership is key uh, for us. And we are talking with countries, including China, on, on supply chains and how to deal with this pandemic. We're speaking with Rafiq Mansour, the Chargé d'Affaires at the U.S. Embassy here in Singapore. And you are in effect, taking over the position of an ambassador here. There is no ambassador uh, in Singapore at this point in time. And so that means that you are working very closely with the Singapore government as well. And and I know Singapore and the U.S. have been talking a lot about Singapore's response to the pandemic uh, back, you know, with the Washington. Tell us about that relationship and those discussions. What does that look like? Um, I think it's a very healthy discussion in, in the sense that uh, we recognize that for the most part, Singapore's response to COVID has been exemplary. And we discuss everything from public health to uh, economic stimulus packages, etc. But one thing that we also have to keep in mind is that there is no cookie-cutter approach to this because if nothing else, the, the difference in size between Singapore and uh, the United States is noticeable. And Sharjah Mansour, what do you, I mean, you, you live here, obviously, with your family, and you've been here for, you know, over a year now. And what, what do you feel like has been the, the strongest part of Singapore's response to this just internally within the, within the country here? It comes down to one word, I would say, discipline. And we, we have certainly seen that here. That's, that's <laughs> definitely the case. Uh, when, we, uh, when we look at a couple of other issues, I think, that are of interest to the Singapore audience, one would be the student visas uh, yes. for uh, students not only traveling to the U.S., but studying in the U.S. Uh, there was a couple of weeks ago a scare that was sent out that students were going to have to be sent home or not retain their visas, at least, uh, if they were going to be doing distance learning while in the U.S. That has been changed now this past week. Give, give us the latest update on that. Well, I would say two uh, excellent pieces of news for foreign students. One, one is, as you pointed out, 
ICE, which is the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, reverted to prior guidance in place for spring and summer 2020 semesters. In terms of students, foreign students studying uh, online courses in the United States. The other piece of excellent news Me- is Meaning that they, they can stay in the U.S. if they're there already, correct? And not correct. have to leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. Good. We are definitely committed to maintaining the, the United States as the top study destination for international students. Mm. And so the U.S. Embassy in Singapore is resuming uh, student and certain other immigrant and non-immigrant visa services on July 27. We will prioritize student visa applications so that students may proceed with their U.S. educational plans and hopefully on time. Well, that's going to be good news for a lot of people. And as a practical matter, somebody who needs to travel to the U.S., uh, I've had a, a couple of friends this past week ask me, so can I, can I go to the U.S. or am, am I going to be quarantined or what's going to happen? What, what does that look like now for either American citizens or Singaporeans and non-Americans traveling back into the U.S. from Singapore these days? Sure. So – Excluding uh, U.S. citizens, legal permanent residents, for all other travelers with a nexus to China, Iran, the Schengen area, Brazil, the United Kingdom, and Ireland within the past 14 days, entry is suspended. Okay, so there is no entry for those. If, for those. if, if, if you have been to those countries in the past 14 days, that's Got correct. Mm-hmm. Now, U.S. citizens, legal permanent residents, and other exempted travelers with nexus to these countries that I just listed in the past 14 days will be referred to CDC representatives and health screeners at the arriving airport. Mm. For flights with passengers who meet the above criteria, CBP is funneling uh, these flights to 15 specific airports in the U.S. for efficiency and coordination with CDC personnel. Mm. Now, probably most interest to your listeners today Americans who travel to the U.S. from Singapore are not subject to any type of federal quarantine or stay-home notice upon arrival in the U.S. as long as they have not been to these countries in the past 14 days. This said, they must abide by any directions given to them by CDC personnel. Hmm. This applies not only to uh, Americans, but also to Singaporean citizens and permanent residents of Singapore. Okay. So that's, that's good news for most people who have not been uh, to these countries over the past 14 days. And I would invite your listeners to check the Customs and Border Control Protection CBP webpage for the latest guidance. Do you know what that is offhand to direct them to that? Or do they just Google it and, and figure it out? Sorry, don't mean, didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> uh, Google it, please. But I will also tell your listeners who have any kind of visa question, yeah. uh, going back to the foreign students and other immigrant and non-immigrant visa questions, they can contact Singapore con, C-O-N, at state.gov, and they will have their email answered uh, promptly. Yeah, and, and the, the embassy here is going to be working on those uh, visa applications and things coming, coming soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Starting July 27, we are resuming visa service. Oh, that's great great news, I think, for a lot of people. Speaking with Rafik Mansour, the Chargé d'Affaires at the U.S. Embassy in Singapore. And and finally, I think, you know, voters are all over the world now are, are thinking about, okay, voter registration, is it going to be changed at all for the coming election in November? What is the latest on voter registration, and how is the embassy helping with that? 
So for that, I have the website. Let me start <laughs> with the website. It is uh, fvat.gov. So that stands for Federal Voting Assistance Program. It's four easy steps. One, you register to vote. Two, you request your ballot. Three, you receive and complete your ballot. And four, you return your completed signed ballot. And even for returning the ballot, we could help you with that. You could either use the Singapore International Postal Service or you could drop off the completed ballot package at the embassy's American Citizen Services office. Mm. And we will get it to the U.S. Postal Service for delivery to your election office. And I think it's always better to do that sooner rather than later, right, given, you know, what's happening with the U.S. and and any confusion that's happening there. Absolutely, because also different states have different deadlines. And if people have any questions about overseas voter inquiries, they can email votesingapore at state.gov. Okay, and they get some answers uh, to their questions there. It is a very complex time, uh, Charge Mansour, and, and we really want to thank you for coming on. So many issues that, um, you know, of course, we have no control over here in, the, in, in Singapore, but we are all watching and hoping that uh, the situation in the U.S. gets better or at least stabilizes very soon. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Happy Sunday to you. Thank you. We've been speaking with Rafiq Mansour, the Chargé d'Affaires at the U.S. Embassy in Singapore. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.